There are many paths in life, many roads to choose from, but only one of them leads to eternal life. Jesus offers a new way and invites us along to welcome others, to live with integrity, to share the good news that he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. If you have him, you have all you need. There is no other way. As you know, we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And we have come toward the end of the sermon. You remember that Jesus introduced the sermon with what we call the Beatitudes. And then he spent most of the sermon talking about what life looks like in his kingdom. And not, not how to live according to the law, the outward stuff, and doing the do's and avoiding the don'ts and looking right and sounding right. But how do you really live in his kingdom with him as king, him as boss? How do you serve him? How do you represent him in the world? That, that was the heart of his message, the Sermon on the Mount. And then he moves into, after he presents to us the, what we call the golden rule, he moves into the conclusion. And we've noticed that the conclusion is a series of options. It's a lot like an old, an old Baptist invitation. Yeah. Now that you've heard the message, here's your opportunity to respond. Will you choose to follow or choose not to? It's, there's the opportunity to respond. And that's what we find at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He said there's a narrow gate and few choose it. There's a broad gate over here. And that's where everybody else goes. That's what makes, seems to make sense and what feels right, what sounds right. Everybody winds up over there, but there's a narrow gate over here. This narrow gate is the gospel of Jesus Christ where you say, I am a sinner, I need help. I believe Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin and I want to live for him from now on and you enter that narrow gate. And that way is not always easy, but it leads to life where the broad way that seems easy and seems fun and is full of everyone, he tells us it ends in destruction. So we have an option. Well, then he moved on to say, you even have an option as to who you will follow, who you'll listen to. He said, there are false teachers out there who will point you in the wrong direction. They're like wolves in sheep's clothing. They look and sound and feel good, but what they present is not the truth. So you have to check the fruit that comes out. The, what do they produce? You have to be careful who you listen to and who you follow. And now this morning we come to the next little paragraph there, the next option. He said there are two paths, two gates. There are two trees, one with good fruit, one with bad. And now today he's, he's going he's gonna to give us two more options. Look with me, Matthew 7, beginning at verse 21. 
Matthew 7, we're going to begin at verse 21. There are actually two claims that he's going to represent to us. One is the claim to be worthy to enter into heaven. I am worthy to go to heaven. The other claim is the claim that I am unworthy to go to heaven. And he invites us to join him on the way, the way of the unworthy. Look, chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That is a hard verse to hear. My guess is that that's not one of the verses that you have worked on memorizing. You probably don't have a little card on your mirror in the bathroom. You may have a Bible verse tattooed on your body somewhere, but I'll bet it's not this one. I declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me. That's a harsh word. This morning, I want us to think together about the way of the un worthy. And in order to do that, we're going to have to deal with some hard words. I want to ask you a question that has been asked thousands and thousands of times, but I want to ask it of you, and I want you to ask it of yourself. If you died today, and you wound up at the gates of heaven, the angel at the gate would ask, why should we let you in? What is your answer? You have two claims to choose from in that moment. The keeper of the gate of heaven. Maybe you picture that as the archangel. Maybe you picture it as St. Peter. Maybe it's Jesus himself. Not all of that is imaginary anyway as far as how that works. We have to, we have to guess and dream, but... In this imaginary setting, the keeper of the gate says, why should we let you in? You have two options. You can say to the keeper of the gate, you should let me in because I'm worthy of it. Or you can say, you should let me in because I know I'm not worthy of it. Jesus invites us to an understanding of the unworthy way. First of all, because the claim to be worthy is based on words. You see that in that first verse, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. They say the right thing. Is he Lord? Absolutely. But they say, Lord, they just don't follow him like he's the king, like he's the master of their lives. They say the right thing, but they have not yet really committed to 
following him as Lord. Lord means master. Lord means boss. Lord means the decision maker. They say it, but they haven't found that relationship in which they follow him. And so Jesus says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Calling him Lord is not enough. He has to be Lord. Words are not enough. That's what he, that's, that's, I think at the heart of his, his statement in verse 21 is that your words don't make you worthy. Words are not enough. Even in claiming to be a Christian, your words don't really matter. Even saying the sinner's prayer might not make a difference if they're just words. You know what I mean when I say the sinner's prayer? We don't use that phrase very often anymore. What we mean by that is that you come to a spot, a time, in which you realize your need for Jesus. And so you pray a simple prayer. Now you can say that prayer in a number of different ways, but in essence it usually needs to include four things. One, I know I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sins. A repentant heart. I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sins. I believe Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe God loved me so much that he sent Jesus to die to pay for my sins. And now I'm willing to live for him for the rest of my life. Thank you for your love and your grace. It's a simple what we call the sinner's prayer. It's how someone enters into relationship with Jesus. And if that comes from the heart, it'll change your eternity. But it is possible that even those words are just words. We're never called to know the passcode. You remember the old movies? They're trying to get into the cave. How do you get in? Open sesame. It opened you. You got to know the right passcode, the right words. The kingdom of heaven isn't like that. The claim to be worthy is based on words. I said the right things. I remember when I was nine, I said the right words. I called you Lord. Isn't that enough? I used the right name. And that makes me worthy. I should get to go to heaven because I knew the words to say. The claim to be worthy is based on words. But did you notice? You notice something very interesting here that caught my attention at first. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so we immediately want to know, well, who does get to enter into the kingdom of heaven? If not everyone who claims him as Lord really follows him as Lord, how how do you get, well, he says, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. How do I know 
that my commitment is more than words. I know that my commitment to him is more than words, and so it counts when I can look at my life and see that my greatest desire is to do his will. What I want more than anything is to get my life straightened out so that I can follow him, so that, so that he is in charge. Not that I've ever, I'll ever be perfect, ever. Daryl reminded us this morning that Paul says, I do not consider myself yet to have obtained it. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not there. I'll never really be there. But I want it so bad. That's how I know that for me it's more than words. When my desire is to do the will of the Father. And I think it's so interesting that we might ask ourselves, well, what is the will of the Father? What does that mean? Well, Jesus told us that too. John chapter 6 and verse 40. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. So saying, Lord, Lord, doesn't really ensure that you're going to find your way into heaven. That's a claim that you're worthy based on saying the right things. And Jesus says, that's not the way it works. The way it works is when you do the will of the Father. Well, what's the will of the Father? That you look at the Son and believe in Him for everlasting life. John 6, 40. The claim to be worthy is based on words. The claim to be worthy is also based on works. Maybe, maybe it's not just I know the words to say that, that makes me a Christian. Sometimes it's I know the right things to do. He says on verse 22, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? We cast out demons in your name and do many works? In your name? Look at all the good stuff we did for you, God. You owe us, <laughs> almost. You come to the gate and they say, why should we let you in? You say, because I've done so good. Look at my works. I went to church every time the door was open. I gave my money. I, told, I said the prayers the way they taught me to say them. I was nice to people. I did it. I even kept the golden rule. Look at my works. That's why I'm worthy to enter into. But then Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. You see, doing all the kinds of wonderful things is not what he's after. The Pharisees did all the right things, but he called them evil doers because their hearts weren't right. Their hearts weren't connected to him. It was an outward thing. Look at what I do, not who I am. Some might say, I deserve to go to heaven because all the things that I do for God. And you've heard this so many times. But it's always fun to be reminded. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Right? Doing the things 
is not what he's looking for. He's looking at being connected, trusting. I read recently about a, a company that put out a, a, a cake mix. And they thought that, well, the way to, to do this is to make it as easy as possible on the home cook. And so uh, they made the, the mix with everything that was necessary except water. All you have to do is add water and you can bake a cake. And the thing flopped. And they couldn't figure out why did it flop? How come nobody wants to buy our cake mix? So they did some research and what they discovered was nobody wants to eat a cake that comes from a powder that all you have to do is add water. So they tweaked the recipe just enough that on the box now it says, add one egg to the cake mix and add water and the thing sold like crazy. It's just people felt like there should be something else to cake. There should be something else that makes it what, it what we want it to be. And friends, that's the way we have handled Christianity for years and decades and centuries. God says, here's what it is. And we say, yeah, but we need to add something to it to make it look and feel and sound and taste right. And he says... It's not about what you say. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are. Am I, Lord? Do you believe me and trust me? Are you following me? That's what it's about. The claim to be worthy is based on words and it's based on works. We need to remember what Paul taught us in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. It is by grace you've been saved. In other words, grace is something you don't deserve. As long as you think, I am good enough to be worthy, you have not yet experienced grace, and you're not in a position to experience grace. It is only when you say, I need your grace, I can't be. You can make me. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The person who claims to be worthy at the gate is boasting, look at me, I've got it. And Jesus says, you ain't got it, because you don't have me. That comes by grace, and we receive grace through faith. I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you did what you said you did, and I believe you will do what you say you will do. That faith then allows me to receive grace, and grace is the only key to the gate. Titus even said that. He saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. Mercy means I don't deserve it. The claim to be worthy is based on words. It's based on works. But notice this. The claim to be unworthy is based on a relationship. You stand at the gate of heaven 
And the keeper of the gate says, why should we let you in? You say, because I said the right thing, I did the right thing, I'm worthy. Or you can say, let me in because I know I don't deserve to be here. But Jesus made the way. And he said I could come. In the text, you may notice that toward the end. In verse 23, he says to these who claim to be worthy, he says to them, I declare to them, I never knew you depart from me. Why must they depart? Because he never knew them. They say, well, we said all the right stuff. And he says, yeah, but I didn't know you. We did all the right things. Yeah, but I didn't know you. You see, he's telling us that that the way to enter into his kingdom on earth and ultimately his kingdom for eternity, the way that we get to be a part of all of that is in a relationship with him. He says, depart from me because I didn't know you. Now understand when he says that what he means. I know that you can look around the room today and you can find somebody that you don't know. Every one of us. I can see some faces, you can too, people I don't really know. That is not what he's talking about. God is omnipotent. He knows everyone. He knows everything about everyone. But he's saying, I don't have a relationship. It's one thing to say, it's one thing to say, I know you. Something else to say, I know Lisa. We've spent a life together. I know what makes her tick. I know who she is on the inside. I know what she cares about, what she's passionate about. I know what ticks her off. I know that pretty good. I might know your name, but I know her. In Scripture, the word know usually is addressing a personal relationship, not intellectual understanding. Does that make sense? I know who the President of the United States is, but I don't know him. God knows who you are. The question is, do you have a relationship? Do you know him? And so Jesus says, you said the right stuff, you did the right stuff, but you didn't trust me enough to know me and to let me know you personally. The claim to be unworthy is to say, I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I can't earn it. But Jesus said I was his. Earlier, I mentioned the sinner's prayer. And some say that we shouldn't teach people how to pray the sinner's prayer because words don't save you. And and if we teach them to do the the sinner's prayer, then that confuses folks. They think the words do it. And, And I get that. I think we need to be careful about that. It's not a passcode that lets you in, but it is, I think, a valuable way to begin a real relationship. I still remember the night that, that uh, uh, we were in college and Lisa and I had gone on a date. And we pulled into the driveway at the end of 
the date. And I still remember sitting in the car. And I said, I don't remember the exact words, but the heart of the, the conversation was, I don't want to date anybody else. And I don't really want you to date anybody else. Can we be a thing? I remember that moment. And we've only dated each other ever since. The sinner's prayer doesn't save you because of the right words, but it absolutely can begin a relationship with a moment that you can always remember and always turn, look back to. It can begin a relationship that is so real that your life begins to show that you know him and he knows you. And I think that is incredibly eternally valuable. It's all about that relationship. Bob Hartman used to sing a song called It's All About Who You Know. You're tied in and networked. You've got people to see. You have friends in high places. You've got places to be. You've got plenty of time to make your mark. You've been able to get all things done. And all the white shirts will take your calls. You've really had quite a run. Who can you turn to, though, when your life is behind you? You see, it's all about who you know. When you get to the end and you've got nothing to show, it's all about who you know. The claim to be unworthy is based on a relationship. Alistair Begg, one of the great preachers of our time, and I don't say that flippantly, he's been acknowledged by many as such. He preached what has become a famous message at the National Preaching Conference in 2019. And I want to share with you just a little bit about that famous message. He said, if you were to die tonight and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. If you answer, because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I'm this, loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. I can't wait to find that fellow one day and ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in Bible study. You've never got baptized. You didn't know a thing about church membership. And yet, and yet you made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Well, because I don't know. Well, excuse me, the angel might have said, let, let me go get my supervisor. Then they get the supervisor angel. So we've just a few questions for you. First of all, are you clear on the doctrine of justification of faith? And the guy says, I've never heard of it in my life. Well, what about, uh, let's go to the doctrine of Scripture. The guy's just staring. 
Eventually, in frustration, he says, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said I could come. And that's the only answer. True salvation is not about being religious, not about saying the right things or doing the right things. People who depend on their own words or their own works have as much chance of getting into heaven as the Rangers have of getting into the World Series. It's all about trusting in the Lord and accepting his gift of grace. It has nothing to do with proving that you're worthy, but is totally dependent on your acknowledging that you are not worthy. And that's good news. Because let's be honest, friend, you know you're not worthy to be in the presence of a holy God. You know you're not worthy to call a perfect heaven home. But you don't have to be worthy. You just have to stop pretending. Admit your sin and turn to Jesus.